Welcome to On the Cusp, the podcast that analyzes the new forms of aggression facing liberal democracies and hears from the innovative people at the forefront of countering such aggression and such threats. I'm your host, Elizabeth Braw, and I also lead Bruce's Modern Deterrence Project, which studies such activities and what to do about them. Think GPS jamming, insurance gaps, and viruses created and spread by Mother Nature. And we propose solutions too. You can find On The Cusp wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And to learn more about modern deterrence, visit www.rusi.org slash modern deterrence, where you can also sign up for our mailing list. And you can tweet me too. I'm Elizabeth Braw. Many thanks to our partners at Willis House Watson for making this podcast possible. Now, last month, Rusi released a report authored by yours truly, proposing voluntary resilience training for teenagers. The teenagers would be trained in emergency preparedness, crisis response, and information literacy, which would make them a phenomenal resource for themselves and for their communities and for the country in case of a contingency, whatever that contingency might be. Now, when I started writing the report last autumn, I obviously had no idea that the coronavirus outbreak would cause a pandemic and national crisis of the kind that nobody currently alive has ever experienced. As I record this in isolation, almost 1 million people worldwide have been infected and nearly 50,000 of them have died. Now, COVID-19 is a phenomenally vicious virus. But here's the thing, we residents of modern developed economies are completely unprepared for contingencies, whether those contingencies be viruses caused by mother nature or attacks caused by hostile states. We need to get used to the idea that our convenient societies can't be convenient every single moment of every single day. There will be disruptions and we need to prepare for it. Not preparation in prepper style, of course, but as a concerted societal effort, both in our local communities and nationwide. Now, the report I mentioned earlier outlines how teenagers could play a crucial role in that effort. One country that keeps a close eye on all kinds of threats and how to involve the population in responding to them is Norway. Late last year, I invited Per Brecker, the Deputy Director General of the Norwegian Civil Contingencies Agency, the DSB, to speak at the Modern Deterrence event in London. I also sat down with him to discuss current threats to Norway and what the country is doing to be better prepared. Now, bear in mind, at that point, coronavirus hadn't yet begun spreading in Europe. But the work of the DSB has certainly made the Norwegians better prepared for COVID-19 than is the case with many other Europeans and North Americans. My guest today is Per Brecker, Deputy Director General of the Norwegian Civil Contingencies Agency, uh, it's a great pleasure to have you with us today, Per. And uh, what I would like to discuss with you is a bit about the threats that you are seeing in Norway, which are, of course, threats, I, I assume, that uh, are similar to what we are seeing in other uh, European countries, other uh, liberal democracies. And then we can talk a little bit about what your agency is doing to to counter those threats by involving the population. So let's let's start with the threats. Well, thank you very much, Elizabeth. It's a great pleasure and honor to be hearing, Rusi. What we do, first of all, is we try to broaden out the, the, the risk. We, we try to tell people that we live in, in, in a country where it's safe and sound. But even so, in Norway, quite quite place in the northwestern part of Europe, things will happen. And to, to focus on, um, well, reminding people they are vulnerable. 
uh, and reminding people that the, the, the security situa- situation has changed. And in Norway, in fact, we, we communicate to the people that uh, war might be some kind of scenario we will have to confront. We're saying it's not likely, but it's our job also to remind people that uh, that is something that uh, into the future somewhere we, we could meet something that reminds us of war. A war different than, of course, that we saw earlier, but the war really challenges our way of living. Uh, the way we, we, we communicate, so all the, the infrastructure we have around us, all these things, which is pretty much in the digital world, if you will, but it reminds us on the vulnerability side in society in Norway, and that's important. And war as something that challenges our way of living, I think that's a, a fantastic definition because that's really what uh, new forms of aggression are about, not about military formations mar- marching across borders necessarily, but about disrupting our way of life. Can you see, tell us a little bit about what you're seeing in Norway? And I know, for example, you've had situations where civilian air traffic has been disrupted by GPS jamming. That's quite right. And that surprised us. Uh, this was during a major NATO exercise last year where commercial air traffic experienced that the GPS signals just were, were jammed. And it was quite easy to pinpoint where this came from. And that was across the border in Russia. And in fact, not only that, we could also tell what kind of equipment was being used. So for the duration of the exercise, GPS was not available in that part of Norway. And on the day the exercise concluded, the jamming stopped. Of course, the question of attribution should be fairly easy, and we pinpointed to the Russians uh, on both political and basically on every mean we had. Uh, this was really a smoking gun, but but there was no, um, they didn't uh, admit to anything, uh, and that's where it stands. But it tells us something about vulnerability. If someone wants to 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 challenge basic functions, it can easily be done, and there will be some consequences, and these consequences will mainly be on the civilian side in society. Exactly. So the GPS jamming meant that uh, your civilian, uh, a couple of civilian uh, airlines were affected, right? Uh, well, absolutely. And, and, and rescue service and things like that. Yeah? And no life was, I mean, people didn't die, of course, but it's, it's a wake up call. It could happen in different scale, different places. And it tells us about the, the uh, dependence on GPS for one thing. Well, it absolutely does. So what, what did the airlines do? What, what did, first of all, did they come to you or did they come to the government? And what did you tell them? And, and I guess they had to revert back to, to manual navigation. They, they did. And, and of course, there were different rules put in force. So they had to have, uh, well, I'm not pilots, but, but obviously you had to do it in different ways. And it was reported through the aviation authorities. And um, basically, we told the population that uh, the Russians are spoofing us with this thing that goes on. And that's, um, I think it's important to remind people that uh, we have a big neighbor in the East. We shouldn't go around and be afraid of him. Uh, but we have to be aware there are capabilities that could um, adapt us in, in different ways. And I think it also highlights the need for us to be a, a bit uh, less dependent on, on technology, or at least have other means of going about our daily lives. So in this case, the pilots knew how to do manual navigation, as I guess uh, all pilots should do. Um, but also for, for us ordinary citizens, if we can't go- use Google Maps, we should be able to, to use a regular map or find other ways of finding out uh, how to get to our destination. Yeah, that's important. Uh, we, we just ran a campaign uh, and it was for our public, basically, for the people, saying you have to be prepared. There will be situations where the power will uh, will, will disappear, your phone won't work, and it will get cold. It gets cold in Norway during wintertime, 
Uh, basically means you have to store something to, to keep you safe and sound. You have to talk to your family, talk to your children. What happens if the phone don't work? Yeah? How do you communicate? What, what have you pre-planned, basically? Uh, which is important. And we see people are picking up that message, even if you live in a country where it's, um, as I said, safe and sound. And they haven't been used to this long um, fallout from electricity and things like that. But we said 72 hours, three days, look after yourself. Uh, don't phone us. We will phone you. Exactly. And, and that can be any disruption, right? It doesn't have to be from Russia. It can be uh, another perpetrator. And, and uh, speaking from personal experience, I, I used to live in San Francisco, which had a similar similar rule for, for earthquakes called SF-72. And the message was, you have to know how to look after yourself for 72 days because the authorities will be busy looking after those Perfect. who really need assistance. So what has the uh, reaction of the Norwegian public been to to public awareness campaigns like this? Well, well first of all, we, we don't focus on Russia. We, we say, I mean, nature, huh? struggle today. And we know tomorrow will be more difficult. And we live in this digital society. It could be disrupted by, by any means. Huh? But people at large are very positive. Of course, we've had several hundred phone calls. What does DSB know that we don't and things like that? But in all in all, I think people appreciate this, this knowledge that uh, we are also vulnerable as citizens. And we say, we need you to be prepared for us to do our job. We will be busy dealing with other things. So the more you can look after yourself, your family, your neighbor, it will uh, entail us to do different things and, and come back to you at the later stage. How about uh, the private sector? How much cooperation and interaction does your agency have with, with Norwegian companies? Well, 95% of infrastructure in Norway is owned on, on private hands. Yeah? And we, we are... I mean, it's, it's, uh, if we don't get those on board, it, this won't work. And in a project, what we call the Total Defense Project, its main mission is to really to engage the private sector, uh, to have them on board, to build arenas where we can communicate, also exchange classified information and what have you. And it's working. Um, I say what, what we managed to achieve in the last two years on this, this public-private partnership path has been quite remarkable. Of course, there are ways, we still have bridges to cross and, and things like that. But uh, the most important uh, e-com providers, transportation of food, fuel and things like that, they're part of this puzzle and they recognize their role. Uh, and hopefully by the end of this project, now will be next year, we will be able to go back to the government and say, we have what we call total defense and it's working. That I think is, is very useful for, for other countries to look at as well, because in many countries, Governments will say, well, we could possibly involve the private sector to the extent of, of sharing classified information, because who knows where that would end up. But you're saying it's working. Well, we ha it has to work. We, we have to define those arenas. Yeah? In pretty much any scenario, they will be there and they will have their role. And if we as a government can't, can't communicate with them in a sensible way, also showing them that this is the risk, this is what's, what's happening, we won't be able to find the best solutions. Uh, of course, it means we need to give them security clearance and all things like that. We don't just give them information which is classified. There are rules and regulations to follow, and that's what we do. Many people will say, well, it, companies couldn't possibly be asked to, to participate in national security because that's an additional cost for them and, and their primary responsibility is to their shareholders. How have you made that work with, with Norwegian companies? Well, we have a new Security Act in force. And of course, much of the discussion now, let's say an example, 5G, uh, the next communication system. Obviously, we're interested in, in, in being able to have a national control over much of our infrastructure. And, and this, this uh, Security Act puts forward some rules and regulation on how that's being done. 
Uh, we're not limiting the companies as such, but we are putting up some walls, if you will, in order to prevent foreign actors getting a stronghold in critical infrastructure. On certain other areas, we do have uh, still laws and regulations from back in the Cold War days, enabling us in given situation to actually tell private companies that uh, this is what I want you to do, and they are obliged to do it. So it's a mix of, of both voluntary uh, cooperation and, and legislation. Yeah, it's soft and hard governing, if you will. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and I think one aspect that's really interesting is the, the executives themselves, to which extent they, they think of themselves as participants in national security and, and, and are willing to act in that way. What are your relations so far within this new Total Defense Initiative? What are your relations with Norwegian business leaders like? Well, it's... It's pretty close. As I said, we still have um, holes to, to fill and things like that. But I think we're able, I mean, not only focusing on under the total defense umbrella, saying that Russia is the bad guy, but we're telling them, uh, if you look at the risk matrix as a whole, we are interested in giving you the right information at the right time so you can keep your business up and running. And, and of course, that is also interest interest of, of the different businesses out there. Exactly. And, and uh, in a way, I guess... Uh, Similar situation is, is Denmark, whose largest company was brought down by a, yeah. a virus, which turned out to be uh, have been uh, originated by Russia a couple of years ago. And the question then is, uh, how much of that is an attack on, on just on the company, and how much of that is is an attack on the country, and how does the country respond? So it does all hang together. It does. We, we just opened about two weeks ago our, our national cybersecurity center, and I think half the positions there are being filled by by private companies. You know? And, and of course, trust is a key word. I think Norsk Hydro, a company that was attacked about half a year ago, uh, clearly showed the advantage of people or a company coming forward and say, we have been attacked. This is what happened. Let's share this information and let's build preparedness on what you experienced, uh, which is important. Exactly. And, I, and they were also a very good example of a, a company that did have backup capability. If I'm not mistaken, they had a, a number of employees who knew how to uh, exactly. perform operations in an analog manner, so pen and paper, as, as I understand yeah, it. That's quite right. Uh, which is really remarkable. Without that, uh, they would have had to stand still for a while, as I understand it, and, and now they could keep operating. Can I ask, what are the main challenges that, that your agency and, and you personally are still trying to, to address when it comes to preparedness and, and uh, involvement of, of all segments of society in Norwegian security? Well, I think all we are very focused on, on the whole hazard aspect. Uh, it's very dangerous to say that cyber is, is the thing because it's, it's a political awareness on the subject. We will address the, the climate. We're struggling today. We will address uh, terror. Our security service will tell us that it's uh, more likely that it will happen than not. We will address the issue of health. Pandemic flu will be very high on the risk metrics. Uh, we will address the issue of technology. We're eager to introduce new technology. Uh, we are probably the most digitalized country in the world, but there is a downside, of course, on the vulnerability side. And we will address cyber and hybrid, hybrid spare, bringing attention to people and to government that we need to have uh, solid systems in place and the cognitive resilience also on the individual level, being prepared to whatever we are confronting and we will be confronting into the future.
uh, one aspect of, of Norwegian defense and security, which I think is brilliant, is, is your uh, competitive uh, national service, where really the best and the brightest, uh, only the best and the brightest get to do national service, which uh, is a model I think other countries, uh, including the UK, uh, should adapt, because it means that the government really gets to choose the, the very best 18, 19-year-olds for national service. But I wanted to ask about youth more generally. Do you find, are they receptive to this, to your agency's messages about preparedness or, or are they what many people refer to as a, a snowflake generation that doesn't care about anything other than themselves? Personally, I think there is huge potential in the younger generation we just have to show why national security is relevant to them. I think many people would say that, oh, the, 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 the upgrowing generation is, is somewhat like the dessert generation. They, they just sit there and watch TV or whatever. That's not my experience. What we see is really a generation growing up that are very, very eager to take part in society, eager to adapt and to understand the challenges we are confronting. I think climate is, is an obvious example, but also the different issues. They are ambassadors for, for many of these things that we are, we are, we are discussing and trying to, to uh, well, make people change their behavior. As well. The younger generation is really how we're going to, to break that code. It isn't done overnight. It will take some time. But I think we are on the way, and I think we see a, a optimistic. We're optimistic on how to involve younger generation, and I think Greta Thunberg is an extremely good example in that respect. Exactly. So she may not be focusing on, on national security, but she sh she has shown that there is an enormous potential for, for youth engagement about uh, critical issues, and what could be more critical than than national security and the continued well-being of our free and open societies. Uh, just very quickly before our time is up, can you tell us a little bit about new initiatives that your agency has uh, is working on? Uh, where should I start? Uh, we have several reforms going on. You know? uh, we're eager to, to adopt new system for public warning system. What we have is based throughout the Cold War and things like that. Uh, we're eager to see better education on the fire rescue service. Uh, we're eager to see how different municipalities must work better in their preparedness work. Uh, we do have a responsible on, on the local level as well. And we're trying to make our budget all come together to make this, this, uh, this possible, if you will. And of course, we're also on the scope now to, to, to see how, uh, how we can work closer also with the people who are more responsible on the cyber side. But if I can finish on one note, because uh, one thing you mentioned here just, just earlier, the young generation doesn't have to be afraid or, or, or really focus on, on the, the, the security situation. What we're eager for them is to, to be resilient. So, so what happens doesn't really matter. It's the consequences they have to bear with. If we manage to, to get that message through, I think that's important. We don't want people to say, oh, war is so unlikely, so I won't do a thing. Okay, might be unlikely. But we want people to be prepared when the electricity fails, not because why. Don't focus on that, but deal with the consequences. That's right. And it's in everybody's interest to know what to do if power goes out, because yeah. we rely on it every minute of every day. Exactly. Thank you very much, Per Becker, Deputy Director General of the Norwegian Civil Contingencies Agency. It was a pleasure to, to talk to you. My pleasure. Thank you very much. What to do when someone is jamming GPS? What should governments do when residents' first response in a crisis is to expect government assistance? What is the role of the private sector in a crisis? Tweet me your thoughts or suggestions. And again, my Twitter handle is Elizabeth Braw. Many thanks to our producer, Tom Ascott. 
We'll be back very soon with another episode and another guest who's doing pioneering work. See you on the cusp. <laughs>